I hope you all feel refreshed and excited and grateful for all that, who God is and what he is doing. And thank you for all your encouragement on last week. It was a challenge as this week uh, also is. This week we're going to, last week we did the first three chapters of Ephesians. It's just an overview. And if um, you weren't here last week, can I encourage you to listen uh, to the message Uh, before you digest too much of this week, because one of the important principles we find in the book of Ephesians is that Paul's always telling us who we are before he instructs us what we should do. And that's an important principle in the kingdom of God. And so the first three chapters are all about who we are, and these last three chapters are all about what we do as a result of it, what God expects for us as a result of it, and what, of course, we can achieve as a result of it. So I just want to encourage you on that. And again, just let me remind you, we're just going across this because we're going to be working on the book of Ephesians on and off for the next period of time. And so all I'm trying to do is just give an introduction, hopefully make you very hungry for what the book has to say, send you home wanting to read it and study it, and we will be, um, myself and others, will be preaching from it throughout the year and however long and wherever we should go. So um, it's really exciting. One of the points I do want to make, picking up Paul's principle, uh, is the fact that The Christian faith is not a religion. Jesus didn't come here to start a new religion or introduce a new religion. The Christian faith is a journey where you and I, in Christ, walk with a loving Father and express through our own lives the biblical story. And our names get written into the biblical story. It is still being written. Scripture's not going to be added to or changed. But when the Lord returns, we will see the role we played in the biblical narrative, the biblical story, which flows from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation 22. And if we don't understand at least in a general sense, the biblical story and the big picture, which is why God created us, why we were made, what it is God's trying to achieve or wanting to achieve on planet Earth. So I use the word trying because remember we said last week, God has limited himself to express it through his people. That's where he's, he's trying. Um, God's perfect. He never fails, but God has failures because we fail him. So God has to clean up messes. They're not by his own makings, but we make them. Now, God's okay with that. In fact, in Christ, he's even made a provision for that. But if we don't know what it is that he's attempting to do and achieve through us, the problem is, number one, we are the drop into religion, which is just about all these things that we have to do, or we'll drop into good works, and be driven by good works. And the problem with that is we feel then we're serving a deity who is never satisfied with us. What we're doing is never enough. It's never good enough. We read passages where it says our righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord. And we think, oh, wow, he's this fierce deity which is never good enough. No, that is not true. In Christ... 
Everything we do is good enough for him. In Christ, we are clothed with robes of righteousness. In Christ, his mercies are new every morning. In Christ, we are being washed clean on a daily, ongoing basis. But if we get out of that, and if we don't understand that, and we don't understand the full picture of the creation story, we fall into religion, and as a result, primarily we walk in guilt and condemnation. And that's never the way God intended it to be. That's why the scriptures tell us that in Christ we are set free from all of that. So, principles from last week. Who we come, who we are comes before what we do. Works are the result of being in Christ, not our way of earning God's favor. We are sons before we are servants. We already have an inheritance provided for us. We just have to walk with Christ to receive it and be part of it. God does call us to achieve what is not possible in our own strength. He does. But that's exciting because he only does this because he has empowered us by his Holy Spirit and he wants us to walk and work alongside of him and he does not want us to attempt it alone. Then we get the joy in him and through his power of saying, wow, look what I just did. And God says, yeah, you're a clever boy and you're a clever girl and now I'm going to reward you. Yet it was all done through his power. That's fun. We do it with our kids as parents, don't we? They help us in the garden, make a big mess. We tidy it up and they say, did I help you, Daddy? Oh, yes, darling, you were just so wonderful. Walk up, Mom, I helped Dad in the garden today. Sorry about all the wrecked plants, but we just don't go there. See, that, that's how it works with us and a loving father, we get the great privilege of doing amazing, exciting things beyond anything we could even dream of, beyond anything that's even entered the heart of man and women, and God says, well done, good and faithful servant. So, having picked up all of that, we move into the last three chapters in the book, and where Paul is now saying, as a result of the first three chapters, we are now going to look at what we can do. So I'm just picking a handful of verses as we go through. So let, we will start with Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 3 and 7, where it says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And verse 7 says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So here is our mandate. Here's our modus operandi, if you want to use that word, uh, for life as a disciple of Christ. To be worthy of our calling, our leading character traits have to be humility, gentleness, patience, and tolerance. And these will produce and preserve peace in a general sense in our life. So the question that we need to ask is, what is it like to encounter me? on a day-to-day -day basis. 
What is it like when I get up in the morning? I'm going to use one of Trevor's jokes. This man's wife goes off to work, and in the chat, they, uh, her other friends say to her, uh, do you uh, wake up grumpy in the morning? And she says, no, nah, I try and leave him in bed. See, what is it like when we wake up in the morning? What is it like to encounter us when we're driving on the road? What are we like if we feel we're being misunderstood or being mistreated in some way? What are we like when we're being served at a table in a restaurant or in any other situation, when we're a patient in the hospital? What are we like? Are we always, what are we like when we're tired and frustrated? I was in a room years ago with Dennis Peacock and one of his daughters, and we were, we'd been working all day preparing for this big set of meetings that we were doing, and his daughter said, Dad, I am just so tired. And there was still quite a bit of work to do, and he said, that's wonderful, dear. Now you can call on the grace and power of God to get you through. Now keep working. Great statement. You've run beyond your flesh. And you're tired. Now you can call on the grace and the power and enabling of the Holy Spirit to lift up and keep going. So what is it like when we're in those situations? How often do we have encounters with people in life when they say, wow, there was something really special about that person? in an ordinary, everyday encounter. How often do you leave and they all think, wow, what is it about that person? There is something really special about them. You know, in Christ, we can produce that in every situation of life. It's a good barometer of our level of transformation and maturity to the degree that the love and the humility and patience of Christ pours out of us in every situation. However, we've got to build it in. And one of the other great principles that Paul is doing, and I'm not doing a lot of work on it this morning, but he's always saying, take off and put on. That's our requirement. Take off your grumpiness and put on the joy of the Lord. Take off your anger and put on patience and gentleness. Take off your indignant indignancy in some way you've been treated and show love back really challenging in Christ it can be done the rest of the chapter chapter 4 talks a lot about the body and the unity which we covered last week and I'm sure we'll cover in depth further as we go along so I'm not going to dig a lot deeper in that but um, I want to pick up verse 29 and it says this Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Now listen, brothers and sisters, we could change the world right there. You see, many of you may have heard the school ground chant, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Probably one of the biggest lies ever told in the universe. See, words are so powerful. Words change life. In James chapter 3, James says, Look at the tongue. 
such a tiny little thing, but it's like a big rudder that changes the directions of ships. Who can control it? How many of you, don't put your hand up, but mine's up, would love to go back and take some words back that you've said, even though you've repented and you've said you're sorry and you've asked forgiveness, you just wish those words never left your mouth because once they're out, they're out. Wars are created on this planet through words and through unwise things or things spoken in anger or in situations. That's why Jesus has said, don't call somebody an idiot. Now, most of us have violated that comment. But he's saying, what Jesus is saying is, because this will start building a fire that can end in murder. And that can end in world wars just by starting calling somebody an idiot. So Jesus is getting right to the root of this. So we could start a whole revival and a whole different world on this planet if we would only think what our words are going to do before we speak them out. Amen? So important. Words are so powerful and so effective. They are wonderful for building up people and edification and encouragement. And they're disastrous for tearing down and destroying. So just a little bit of thought before we speak. If I'm about to say this, what effect is it going to have would do all of us a lot of good. Moving on, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. See, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. He's not some tough, insensitive being who doesn't care about anything that's going on. His love can be wounded and his holiness can be offended. And if we constantly grieve him, he will go silent within us. Now listen, he's not sulking. He's hurt, he's wounded, And he doesn't want to empower us to do negative, destructive things. So if we are not listening to him because he mainly works with just nudging us. He doesn't normally whack us or shake us or grab us and say, don't do that. He's trying to nudge us and coerce us and call us up to something. And if we are ignoring him or going against him or grieving him, he will go silent within us. So we need to nurture his presence. We need to create an environment for him to live within us and express himself through us to create life. Then he thrives on that. Then he'll constantly be talking to us and encouraging us and inspiring us in everything that we can do. But we need to nurture him and allow him to lead us. We need to handle him with respect and love and constantly seek and protect the manifestations of his presence. All right, we're moving on. Chapter 5. The first few verses of chapter 5 call us out of our old life and our old ways to walk again in the manner that we have been called and empowered, which is all great. Please spend time in them. But I'm going to pick it up in verse 13. And we've talked about a little bit already about this in speech where it says, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. But here's the next bit. For everything 
that becomes visible is light. See, so often we live our lives without a conscious awareness that God monitors everything we do and everything we say. Listen to this. He even knows our thoughts before we think them. Now, how many of you here, and you can put your hands up for this, we've got amazing AV here, and Mel, this lovely young woman on the back, is very efficient in putting this up. So I've got her all ready for this this morning. How many of you are really happy if we put up all the thoughts you've had in the last 24 hours up on the screen for everybody to read? Put your hand up if you're happy. And my hand's not up, by the way. Put your hand up if you're happy about that, and Mel will flick them up. Somebody, Joe, Joe. <laughs> I think Joe just put his hand up. I think it's because he doesn't think Mel can achieve it. You'll be surprised what Mel can do, Joe, believe me. <laughs> you see, I, and by the way, this is not about condemnation, but this is only this. We are warned that eventually our actions and our activities are going to be exposed. They're going to be exposed into the light by God. And not only will what we do be exposed, the motivation, the motive behind what we were doing will be exposed as well. So if you do something that is seemingly good for personal gain, not only what you did that was good is going to be exposed, but what your motive was behind it, which was personal gain, will be exposed also for all of us. Now, don't get too worried about that because this is what God's calling us to do about it. He's calling us to be contrite. Now, what that means is to live a repentant life. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And when we do something wrong, and we all do, just remember God's mercies are new every morning. We are constantly being washed clean by his blood. That's okay. But remember, the condition for our sin to be separated from us as far as the east is from the west is that we have responded to the urgings of the Holy Spirit. We have repented. We have asked forgiveness. And we have done whatever it is within our power to put the things right that we just did wrong. Sometimes there may be nothing we can do about it. That's okay. The grace of God is sufficient for that. But so often we preach repentance and forgiveness, but never ever restitution. They go together. So, the joy of going before God and say, well, God, back in this time I did this and that, and God saying, I don't have any record of that. Why? Because he is separated as far as the east is from the west. Isn't that amazing? That is everything we've ever done and ever do. God will separate from us as far as the east is from the west and wipe the slate clean, providing we have repented providing we have asked forgiveness and providing we have done whatever it is within our power to make restitution. It's a wonderful blessing. It's a wonderful joy. You're going to get before God at the end of your life and you're going to start confessing things and God's going to say, stop, I don't have any record of what you're talking about providing we have lived in a contrite way, in a repentance way, so that we're constantly, when we make these failures, bring it before the Lord and allow his blood to wash us clean. Amen? 
There's no condemnation in that, but it's requiring us to walk in harmony with the Holy Spirit and respond to him and know the word of God and all the other things that go with that. So failure to pay attention to his early warning systems puts us on a slippery slope. And frequently when people have fallen, when they've made dumb investments or major business decisions or dumb, dumb things, frequently as you sit down, they'll say, you know, I had a bad feeling or I thought about this, but I just pushed on past it. And if you're feeling a restraint in anything you're doing, stop and check with God or go and get counsel or advice from people. A whole lot of things we do don't have to be done if only we learn to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and walk in the wisdom of the counselors around us and an understanding of the word of God. See, God's not expecting us to be perfect. We have the potential to be perfect in Holy Spirit, but he's expecting us to be contrite and to deal with things in our lives. Moving on. See, verse 5 in the same chapter says, For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now let me say this, still in the context of God's grace. We are so often so salvation or heavenly focused that we misread the warnings of Scripture. See, Paul is not saying here that no one who ever engaged in immorality or greed or these other things can enter Christ's kingdom. He is not saying that. Rather, he's saying that no immoral, impure, or greedy person currently has an inheritance in the kingdom. You also find it in 1 Corinthians 6. So please hear me. See, our failure to walk in the ways of God squanders our inheritance right here on this earth. God has an inheritance for you and me, which he prepared beforehand for us to receive. Galatians chapter 4 talks about as we develop and grow in maturity, so we lay hold of more of the things that God has for us. See, what this passage is saying is we will lose our inheritance. It's not about salvation, but God's saying, you're not going to lay hold of all the things that I have for you on this earth unless you walk with me with a repentant heart and in humility and in the power of the Holy Spirit and deal with your stuff in life. See, God's not saying, I'm here to whack you about sin. God's saying, come on, sons and daughters. Your sin is causing you to miss what I have for you. And whatever else you gain on this world, that is too big a price to pay because what I have for you right here on this earth, in this life, is better than anything that has ever even entered the mind or heart of man, better than anything eyes have seen, better than anything ears have heard, and God wants us to get it. Can you hear that? So one of the things I'm going to wonder, you can come back to Galatians 4 if you like or stay here, how much of what God has laid aside for me and planned for me in my life did I actually lay hold of? What am I going to see about that when I get to stand before God at the end of my life? But it requires putting the flesh to death. 
It requires putting our selfish nature to death. It requires learning the principles the Apostle Paul is teaching here, learning what to take off and learning what to put on. And God's cheering us on and giving us the power of the Holy Spirit and say, go for it. You're about to lay hold of something great. And it gets better and better and better the more we're in the process of transformation and maturity. That's worth some effort. And hopefully we'll look a lot more at that as we get through this. But right now, I am moving on. See, the chapter carries on. We're in chapter 5. To be worshippers, and then moves us into the wonderful topic of marriage. Oh, yay. See, I'm sure we'll do a lot more on this later, but there is a couple of things I do want to say now. See, I know that you would all... You're all wonderful people. I know you all well would love me to get into the whole thing of submission and authority. But you see, out of the fear of being stoned, I won't. But I do like verse 32 because Paul is saying this whole thing of marriage and he paints this big picture of it. And then he goes into verse 32 and he says this. Now, he says, I know this is a mystery, but actually, do you know what marriage really is? Marriage is a reflection of the way Christ is working with his bride, the church, to prepare her for eternity. Oh, joy. Do you realize that Jesus has just said that if people want to see how he works with the church, they should do nothing more than look at your marriage. Paul says it's a mystery. Amen to that. But at least we can get hold of the fact that our marriage is meant to be an expression of Christ and his church. And if God has said that's what it's meant to be like, he has said, I can make it happen. I wouldn't ask it of you. I can bring this into your home. I can bring this into your marriage. And the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ, this is what marriage can be. That's why I, for one, am delighted to marry people. I love doing weddings. Because it's a precious covenant that nothing else on this earth can reflect. But to achieve it, looking at the way Christ deals with his church. It's meant to be sacrificial, immersed in agape love, and that's about doing more than it is about feelings, about our spouse's well-being at our expense, and having all the principles applied to it and alive in it that Christ applies to the church. Now, there is a mission. There is a mission. So we should ask, what's my marriage look like? And those of you that are not yet married yet should ask, what is it going to look like when I find this wonderful guy or woman that I'm looking for? Is it the essence of love, companionship, and selfless living? When people walk into our homes, are they impacted by a spirit of peace? and constant expressions of Christ's love that they're seeing as we interact with one another. Now, obviously, this is now a no-brainer. 
This cannot be done without the presence of the Holy Spirit. See, let me say this to the husbands, because I'm one. If you think, guys, that by being head of your home, you can produce this, you are dreaming. You can't and you won't. See, it will only happen if Christ is head of your home and you are down on your knees in humility, overwhelmed by the responsibility he has charged you to lead your wife and your children, and you are crying out, Oh, Jesus, help me, because I cannot ever possibly hope to produce this in my own strength. Now, I love marriage seminars, and I love the 10 points of this and the 10 points of that, and they are all valuable. I am not knocking those things. We need all the help we can get. But if we're wandering around our home saying, I'm the head of the home, and you do what I say, and you do what I do, all you're going to produce is a mess and resentment and have a frustrated wife and exasperated children, as the Scriptures say. See, God never fully gives away his ultimate authority, as in never. Husbands, you are not the ultimate authority over your wife. Pastors and elders, you are not the ultimate authority over the church. Prime ministers, you are not the ultimate authority over the country. God maintains ultimate authority only to himself and never gives it to fallen humanity. Never. So I challenge every person that claims they have been given by God a position of ultimate authority. It's blasphemous. It's never given. We have authority to the degree we reflect the nature and character of Christ in any of the arenas of life, including marriage. So here we go. Husbands, love your wife. Wash her with God's word. Lift her up before the Lord constantly as his daughter. This is the saying I love. Before God says to you at the end of your life, how did you treat your wife? He's going to say to you, how did you treat my daughter? Think about that. Nourish and cherish her and share everything with her so she can become one with you. And by the way, guys, if you're doing things that you couldn't possibly be asking your wife to become one with you in, stop it. Don't do it. Get help. Repent. Get before the Lord. Don't do it. We're called to bring our wife and make her one with us in everything. Doesn't mean you all do the same things, you know that but it's one in spirit and one in heart. So we don't do things the other person couldn't possibly endorse or agree with or support. See, guys, do you think this is hard? It's more than hard, guys. With man, it is impossible. But here's what Jesus said. In God, all things are possible. 
So we have not with been charged with something we can't achieve. We've been charged with something we cannot do unless we are in Christ, unless we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we have embraced what God's Word teaches and reflects and unfolds in all of these things. We have to cooperate and die to our own selfish nature to make it happen. Right, now we're going to the wives. Now, wives... I'm not going there. See, here's why I'm not going here. You think I'm scared of all the women in this room? Well, yes, that is true. But that's not why I'm not going here. See, in verse 22 in Ephesians 5, it starts off by saying wives. So who are those verses addressed to? Wives. It's got nothing to do with you guys. You're not allowed to read your wife's mail. Well, she might let you. But Paul's not writing to you under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He's writing to your wives. So it's up to the wives to sort out before the Lord what he was saying and what he expects and, and how, he is going to, how the Holy Spirit is going to empower you to do it and hold you accountable to it. Now, maybe Kerry or if there's any other women going to be shared, we'll talk all about that, but I ain't going there. I've had enough years of married life behind me to know better than that. So, at the risk of being called a coward, I'm moving on to chapter 6. <laughs> it is not for us to instruct our wives to be submissive. That's the Holy Spirit's job, and may God help him. <laughs> Okay, chapter 6. Starts off with great advice to parents and children. I'm not going to cover that today, but there's jewels and gems in there. It's fantastic. But what I want to finish on, and I am finishing here, is the amazing discourse in chapter 6 on the armor of God. I promise we will cover this thoroughly in future sessions, piece by piece. It's so important. This is a gem. This is one of the greatest things of the New Covenant Scripture, if we can lay hold of it. It really is. So let's just read it very briefly, and I'll give an overview, and we'll finish up. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We really need to understand that, guys. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. See, the control of this world is completely and utterly in the unchallenged hands of the Almighty God. But right now, he allows the already defeated enemy to still be active, and sometimes this life can be a place of very hard conflict, both in the spiritual and the natural. Verse 12 tells us, that behind most of our struggles are principalities and powers, which unless God gives us revelation, we can't even see them. 
It takes discernment to see them. We have to look into the spiritual world to see them. In the natural, we don't have the ability to do that. We can't do that. So we have to be in Christ to see them. And to venture out into the real world, we need protection. See, often people will say, well, you know, you talk about we should be reading the word of God every day and we should be praying every day and we should be in worship every day and I just feel worn down on all the things that I have to do. Fine. See, the problem is if you're a born-again believer, you are operating in the spiritual realm and everything you are doing. And it is dangerous not to do those things. It is dangerous not to pray. It is dangerous not to be in the word of God. It is dangerous not to be in worship, prayer, and be surrounded by saints that you're sharing your life with. It is dangerous. And often from the front, you think we're just giving you a whole list of things to do. We're trying to protect you to understand we are in a war zone here, brothers and sisters, and the enemy is real. And he's about as a roaring lion. He is not a roaring lion. Christ is the only lion. He is the lion of Judah. But the enemy is as a roaring lion, seeing who he is going to devour. And if you want some of the animal programs on TV, who do the lions devour? The animals that have got weak, that have got tired, and have been separated from the herd, or the flock, or in this term, the community. That's who gets devoured. It's dangerous. Verse 13 and 16 promises us that we can overcome the evil that approaches us and then stand firm against its attempts to reclaim territory. This is a whole other message, but we need to learn how to stand firm. It's not only winning territory, which we're called to do. It's maintaining the territory that we've already gained. And marriage and family is a great place for that. We can make great achievements and then drop back and back and back and lose them again. Now, the armor of God plays a role in all of this. And we neglect these things at our peril. This is reality. You wouldn't want to be in the front lines of the World War with no gun, no helmet, no boots, nothing. You would just be cannon fodder for the enemy. Verse 17 and 18 tells us that the sword of the Spirit is the word of God and that prayer and the use of these two things are vital in this regard. This is about our own well-being as much as it is about advancing and taking the territory and laying hold of the inheritance that God has set aside for us. If we are not in God's word regularly, if we're not regularly in prayer and all the other Christian disciplines... It's not just that we are ineffective. It's that we are vulnerable. However, if, there are, if we are in all these things, there's great promises for us. Linda and I were having a chat about this this morning. Before I come in, Linda shared something that I'm going to ask you to come. hope you can still remember it, love. I'm going to ask you to come and share it with us now. Then I want to finish off on a uh, verse. Thank you. Um, I saw a picture of a, a tree, you know, and it was a beautiful tree. It was flourishing, and you could sort of see a cross-section of it, and you could see the roots, and the roots were great. They were strong. They went down really deep. 
um, but underneath the roots was um, like this spring of water. You know, there was a whole like underground sort of river system in that, and the roots weren't reaching it. So I just sort of thought, felt that the word that came with that is, you know, it's, it's not enough to be a nice person. It's not enough to do all the good works in the world. It's not enough to have parents who are Christians. It's not enough to have walked with, you know, God for many decades. And, you know, I've been walking with the Lord for, I think, 36 years. I'm, um, I think I'm about three months older than Bruce and the Lord, so that's why he couldn't do the submission thing because he has to submit to me, you know, <laughs> elders submit. She's also older than me in the natural too. Yeah. <laughs> And don't I look good for it? <laughs> Sorry, carry on. And I, I know there are some people here who have been, you know, can double my number. Um, but that's not enough. It, sometimes, you know, I think I've been guilty of coasting along on my experience. You know, yeah, I've heard it all, I've done it all, I've, I've been doing this for many, many years. You know, that's not enough. Hmm. There's more. There's a whole realm there that we have yet to tap into, you know, that God is saying, hey, it's available for you. Like Ange talked about the source. There's a whole source there. You know, if you're feeling a bit weary on the journey, like I'm doing this for so many years, I hope I can make it for another few just till I can, you know, um, limp into the end. Uh, You know, God has so much more for us. And exactly just what Bruce said, getting into prayer, getting into the word, cleaning up your act a little bit. You know, little things creep into our lives, you know, have a way and we don't even really think, wow, how did that get there? You know, taking stock, do a top stock take and see if there's a way that you can dig in that little bit deeper and get your roots that little bit tiny further down and you're going to find a source of life and something that's going to come up you'll experience you've never experienced before and I really believe that's the word of the Lord to some people this morning. Amen. Thank you, Linda. I hope that what we've covered just in a big picture last week and this week has brought some food, brought some inspiration, and also brought some excitement to be here as we work through some of these things on a a deeper base. I just want to finish with this now. It's not out of Ephesians, but the Apostle Paul won't mind because it is from his writings. It's in 2 Corinthians 2.14, and it says this, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ. That bit's important. Who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Isn't that amazing? There's a promise for you. Paul says, this can be your life. We just need to put up our hands and say, Lord, that's what I'm after. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you, Bruce. Yeah, thank you, Bruce, for what you shared. And thank you, Linda, for the picture that we have. Because as I was listening to all that Bruce had to say, I was thinking... Um, what are the ears with what you're hearing, what Bruce has been sharing this morning? You know, there's been a lot of things that, uh, you know, you, you go back, you know, what is it like to encounter me on a daily basis? The taking off, the putting on. What are our words like? What if the Holy Spirit goes silent within us? The call to be contrite, to live a repentant life. Uh, the warning of the squandering of our inheritance, um, putting the flesh to death. Marriage and the challenge that that is. How have you treated my daughter or my son? Uh, the armor of God, a very hard conflict in life. 
and just even Linda's word as well, of the roots not reaching down. What was the inner voice or the inner ear that you heard that with? Because I'm really concerned that um, to you, what Bruce is wanting to do is call us up into Christ and not to condemn. And I'm really hot on condemnation. And a lot of us have voices which hear it condemning, condemningly rather than convictingly and drawing us on. And I just want to draw back to the to the promise of God because he's calling us on. He's calling us to put our roots down deeper. So I actually um, just want to wait for a minute, just to just take a minute to just reflect on some of the, of what um, uh, Bruce has shared and also something that you can take from today's sermon and say, yep, I'm going to be working on this. I'm going to put that into my life this week because I want my roots to go deeper. I want to grow in God. So just take a couple of minutes. Father, we've sung this morning, and if our God is for us, then who can be against us? And that is true. And Lord, as we go today, I pray that people would leave here, Lord, light in spirit, not heavy in spirit, and would be led by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, as they go this week, they would find you a constant companion, Holy Spirit, speaking to them actively. And Lord, as they find in the middle of their week that they are doing something for you, Lord, something uh, that causes the roots to go down deeper into the water, or they're doing something that they're a blessing to somebody else because of who they are in you. Lord, may your Holy Spirit rest upon us all. May we go out as your light and your salt into the world this week. And uh, we say that knowing that we can be confident that you'll go and knowing that you do not condemn us, but, Lord, you're with those, as you've promised, for those who are contrite in heart. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for this morning. Lord, we just look forward to this time of a potluck lunch together, Lord, and fellowship together. And just like to say, if anybody does need prayer uh, or has an issue that you need to, to talk to someone about, please come and see one. I'll, I'll be, actually, I won't actually, I'll be at the door, but Trevor or one of the elders will be here. And, um, yeah, but God bless you. Have a wonderful week.